This morning, I wanted to, I was, want you to take your Bibles and go to Ephesians 4. I got a little nervous in Sunday school. I thought the Sunday school teacher had looked at my notes and picked his passage. So, uh, this morning, I want you, dear people who have been faithful to Jesus Christ, I want you to think about this. What is the purpose of the church? And this is a familiar passage. We will not discover anything new this morning. This is not rocket science. But the Apostle Paul has a way of building his logical argument to bring a level of understanding that we must have. Because all around us today, in every point of the compass, you can pick a church and go to it, and they will have their own purpose. And that frightens me. We are being told today that we must become politically active and socially relevant. I would really seriously question that, not only from Scripture, the Bible doesn't teach that, but from church history. In fact, I would even say this. I don't know that there's been a time in all of church history when the church has been relevant to its particular culture. But I will say this. We need to be conversant with our culture. Am I right? We need to understand our culture so that as we go out into life, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we're in our neighborhoods, as we're doing what we do, that we communicate Jesus Christ. And Paul takes the book of Ephesians and he builds a wonderful case about who Jesus Christ is. He's the head of the church. And he starts that in chapter one and he builds it all through this book till we get to chapter four. And it's particularly, it's a particular interest of mine to know at this time, as we look at this text, that he says, God gave gifts to the church, pastors and teachers, and you're without your shepherd. I hope you understand it's a serious thing. I want to challenge this church right now. You will make that your number one priority. It's been my privilege to join your men in prayer. That group on Saturday morning could stand to have a few more people. Amen? The purpose of the church, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Please follow along. Unfortunately, this morning I'm in the New King James. I know many of you use the ESV. Had I known that, I'd have brought mine, so please forgive me. But let's read the Scripture this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Stop. This is a, a greatly debated text in the New Testament. What, do, what does it mean? And some people, you know, they go to another text, they talk about he went and preached to the spirits in captivity, blah, blah, blah. You don't find that here. 
What Paul does is he goes to Psalm 68, 18, and he draws an Old Testament illustration to make the point he is currently making. And that is where the heart of my message is going to be this morning. But let's read the rest of the text in verse 11. And he, gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ." from whom the whole body joined and fashioned together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In these verses, we find the purpose of the church. Let's go together in prayer this morning as we begin our study. Father, we acknowledge we are limited, we are finite, and we come before you this morning, the infinite God of heaven. Lord, we have come with the purpose to expressly meet you and sense your presence. And Lord, we ask now in these moments as we open the word and share that you will keep us from distraction, whatever is going on in our lives at the moment, that we will be able to put that on the back burner and focus on your word this morning. Father, I'm grateful this morning that not only we have your word, but we have the Holy Spirit who resides within us. And so this morning, oh God, may your spirit work in our hearts as we open the word together. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is a very familiar passage for us. Often we attach to it great theological significance which I believe is proper. I believe you can make the case if you go back and you study the book that as Paul talks about the church in its beginning, he talks about the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. But we don't keep building the foundation, right? Once we lay the foundation, we pour the footings, then we erect the superstructure. Am I right? So for those who are confused, about the apostolic gifts. We don't keep building the foundation. He even says in Ephesians 2.20, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But our gifts today are the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. I think I can make that case to, as I go through the book of Ephesians. And instead of us looking for the power ministries, Instead of us wanting to talk about all the miracles, listen, does God do miracles today? Absolutely. Does God do miracles when he heals people? Absolutely. Sometimes he uses medicine and doctors. Sometimes he just heals. But does God heal people today because I go and touch them and put my hand on them and say, be healed in the name of Jesus? No. 
I have one simple task as a preacher. That's to open the Word and help myself and you understand it better. You not only have the infallible Word of God, but you have the God of heaven living in you in the Holy Spirit. The greatest miracle that occurs today is when someone bows the knee and their head and they accept Christ as Savior. That's a miracle, people. And frankly, in our circles, we see too f- far too little of that miracle. I would submit to you this morning, based on the verses that Paul draws from Psalm 68, 18, which is a victory psalm. It's uplifting the God of heaven for protecting his people Israel in battle, and it's an account of a battle where the king is victorious, David, and he comes back to the capital city of Jerusalem when with him comes all the spoils of war and all the prisoners. In fact, some Bible scholars would say this was written when the ark was brought back from the house of Abinadab finally to Jerusalem. You remember that story from 2 Samuel, right? David went, they put the, they put the ark of the covenant in the ox cart, and that didn't work. Why? Wanted to do a right thing, but he did it in the wrong way. God had very specific regulations for moving the ark of the covenant, and David you know, was going to do it his way. The text is very informative. It says David was angry, but he had to go back and study and get the right people involved, the priests, not the soldiers. And so when they came the next time to move the ark, how did they do it? You know, they put the poles through the hoops on the ark, and they picked it up and put it on their, soul, on their shoulders, and they began that procession of taking God's presence back to his people. That's the suspicion about writing the writing of Psalm 68. He led captivity captive. What does Paul do? Paul applies that, listen to me, Paul applies that to redemption. He applies that to Jesus Christ on the cross. The payment for our sins, and on the third day, that resurrection. What a wonderful testimony to God's power. And so this morning, as I look at this text, and as I try to understand, why would Paul draw us into this Old Testament image? I come to this conclusion. I want to share it with you. The purpose of the church is to display the glory of God in individual lives to a world that is lost. Think about that for a moment. I'm part of that processional. Wicked, lost, heathen, God saved me as a boy. And I am now part of that heavenly procession. Amen? I hope you're part of that. And Paul uses that imagery to show us the total victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we carry that on? How do we apply that in our lives today and continue to give God the glory for what he's done? I have three suggestions. Just let me share them with you quickly. 
as we continue this morning. I think the answer we find is in verse 7, and it's all about God's grace. It's all about the grace he's given to us, but here's the problem. Here's what gets in our way, people. We want the circumstances to always be optimal, right? right? We want the best possible circumstances for our lives. Am I right? That's what we want. We want all of God's grace, and we want it all right now. We want optimum circumstances. We want all of his grace, and we want it on our time frame. Wow. That is not biblical. So let's just discuss this in a few, for a few moments. How many of us say, right now, I'm living the greatest circumstances of my life? It's great. Would there, would there be any hand raised here this morning to give us that testimony? We're human. We live in a fallen world. Sin and death reigns in this world. Though salvation is here and available, Satan is the master of this planet. Don't be confused when you hear people talk about prosperity. Don't be confused by that. That's unbiblical. That is not sound theology. It is rare for any of us that we would say right now, these are the best circumstances that I can have. I remember some years ago when the church had sent me, Berea Baptist, I, I, I joined there in 1984 shortly, after, shortly before I married my wife. Got to know the people, they're wonderful people, some great laymen, men that I could go to, men who were blue collar, salt of the earth. God changed their lives when they were younger. They were raising their families. I had all that. What a wonderful resource. There was a couple there, John and Judy Feliciano. And in that day that they were married, John was Puerto Rican. He was right from the island. And he married a girl, you know, American girl. And in that day, you must understand that that was really against all the things going on. I'm old enough to remember some of the race riots, some of all that stuff. They got married, and they they had a beautiful life together, showing how Christ overcomes all that. Late in life, Judy got cancer. And I'm here to tell you, very, very convicting and humbling. She never complained. She never said, why me? Her prayer was, God, help me in this circumstance to display your glory. I've never forgotten that. You know what she taught me? She taught me that I can give glory to Jesus Christ in less than optimal circumstances. And this church has just experienced all that. So, Romains, I don't want to put the spotlight on you, but we are still praying for you. And we love you. but we can still display God's grace on the worst day of our lives. There have been some things in my life that I don't want to repeat, some things I had to go through that were difficult, and I did say, God, why me? But I still have the potential through the Spirit living within me to display God's grace at that moment. Why? because I'm part of the victory parade, amen? 
sometimes we want all of God's grace. Oh, we want it. We pray for it. It's my conviction that God in His eternal presence, if He would give us all the grace at His disposal, that you and I could not handle it. It's a day-by-day thing. And I'm a plotter, so this resonates with me. I, you know, I like to map out my life. Yeah, I have the goals. Yes, yes. But I'm just a day-by-day guy. Are you there? I get up every morning. I put my left foot in front of my right foot, and I just go. I take the steps I got to take. And I get to the end of that day, and some days I get a lot done. I say, oh, God, thank you. Got a lot done today. Some days I say, Lord, I had a rough day. I didn't get a lot done. So tomorrow, help me as I labor for you. That is life. This resonates with me because sometimes in my life, when I face the things I face, I'm like, okay, Lord, I could use some more help. Nope. Nope, Rob, you got to trust me. So I have to take another step. I want to remind you this morning that whatever grace God gives us is enough for that moment and for that day. You know why that is, I believe? You know why? Because we are human. We're sinful. And we take that grace and we'd hoard it. We'd never use it. You say, oh, preacher, what do you mean? Okay, fine. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Let me explain. If you're here this morning and by faith you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have the gospel message hidden in your heart. Am I right? How many of you gave it out this week? Or did you hoard it? Whoops. Oh, I didn't see that one coming, Pastor. That's right. That's why our relationship with God is predicated on the fact that every day we seek his face. And we take another step. Finally, this morning, we want optimal circumstances. We want all of God's grace, and we want it all right now. But, oh, my friend, God's timing is perfect. I had someone share with me years ago, and I don't, this is not theirs. It's not original by me or this person who shared it with me. Don't know where it came from, but it's great. And here's the thought. God's timing is never late. It's usually exactly when we need it. Did you hear that? He's never late. God never gets wrong. He's never confused about the day of the week, right? I get confused about the timing. I honestly, some days I have to ask Penny, what day is it? It's Wednesday, Rob. Okay, thank you, sweetheart. Get myself all straightened around again. You know, God is not surprised by that. But if we walk with him day by day and we allow him in every circumstance of our lives to reflect his glory, then his timing is always perfect. You see, the Christian life is not complicated. It's not. It's very simple, but we complicate it. 
And I just want to remind you this morning, if you're in that grace processional, if you're part of that great crowd that Jesus Christ has saved, and you're in that march to the Capitol, and Christ is showing that you are now my spoil of war, you're mine. If you're in that parade, praise God. But let me share with you this morning, please do your part and reflect the grace of God every day in your life so that the people around us can see the difference of who we are. If the church, not only in Salem, here in Winston-Salem, but if the church, broad spectrum, will go forward and impact our culture, it will be because we understand this and we do it. It won't be because we engage politically or because we're socially active. I did not go to Ghana to bring health care to those people who so desperately need some good health care. Didn't go there for that. I did not go there to drill wells so they have clean water. That's a great need. God does lead people to do that. Praise his name. I'm there to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you follow through the rest of the verses that we read, not only does it involve every person in the local church body, but it brings us to a point of maturity. The text plainly says, till we all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We reach full stature. We're full grown. We're adults as believers. I want to remind you this morning, in a day where all around us is theological confusion, that our fellowship is based on our doctrine, our beliefs. We're being told today that doesn't matter. I beg to differ with you. But Paul says all that in those verses. And I know this morning I've run the risk of preaching to the choir. I know many of you here have faithfully walked with Jesus Christ for many years. That is a fantastic testimony. But now you must engage and reach the next generation. That's what I see. That, that for me, is where America is at right now. How will the church pass the torch to the next generation? Because if we fail to do it, people, then we are one generation from extinction. Just because you came to church as a kid, your mommy and daddy came, and your grandparents came, and your aunts and your uncles, that doesn't hold a place for you in heaven. You yourself have to trust Christ, and you yourself have to walk the walk and talk the talk. That's what these verses say. The purpose of the church is to reflect the grace of God in individual lives so that we can show a lost world who Jesus Christ is. Let me just say as I close today, this has a powerful implication for the local church. It has a powerful implication for Christian marriages to be strong and for men to be leaders. And if you're here today and you're a husband and a father and you do not lead your family and family altar and you never crack the Bible and you, your children never hear you pray except before the food, oh, Lord, bless this mess, amen, let's eat. If you never do anything for God except that, your children will not understand who Jesus Christ is in your life. So, men... 
Are you reflecting the grace of God in your family? I can't answer that. Only you can. I'd like us to stand together. I'm going to begin to lead us in a word of prayer. Then I'm going to turn it over to the worship team or whoever comes. Okay? Would you please stand with me and join me in a word of prayer as we bring this to a close. I want to thank this church for their support for Penny and I. We love you. We thank you for your generosity. What's more, we're praying for your next pastor. But I will ask you this morning to learn to reflect the grace of God. Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that we stand in need of your help. And just by the verses that we have shared for a few moments this morning, we understand that you've given us all that we need. Oh, Father, help us to become obedient children, to walk with you each day, to come before you with humility, to recognize your greatness. Lord, in our daily conversation with you, that we would ask for forgiveness when we fail you and that we would go on, Lord, and do better each day. We pray that you will help us accomplish those things. And then, Father, as we live for you and walk with you, bring into our lives the people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Finally, this morning, Father, I pray for this church in their need of a pastor. Will you lead and guide the pulpit committee? And God, I pray that you'd protect this church. This is often when Satan loves to work and he brings in division and there will be people who say things and make problems. Oh, God, this morning, keep all that away and let your people here at Salem find their next pastor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.